The devastation from the pandemic is nothing we've seen before. Millions of preventable deaths, economic strife, and unprecedented curbs on social interactions has had a marked effect on people's mental health. Those left behind are feeling overwhelmed, lost, confused, numb, anxious, angry, and tired. COVID has deranged our social fabric irreversibly and rising above this chaos will be a huge challenge. My name is Deeksha Sethi and you're listening to Different Strokes. In this episode, I speak to Ishita Roy Chaudhary, a clinical psychologist who talks about coping with grief and personal loss. Thank you very much, Ishita, for taking the time to um, feature on different strokes. Uh, and we are going to talk about something very important today, which is a pressing issue. That is grief. Um, the second wave of COVID has battered so many of us uh, and there's been sudden departures of uh, family members in a lot of people's lives and it has been difficult to cope up. And I think um, there's also been, uh, you know, battle on different fronts as well. Job losses, personal losses, there's total burnout. There's no sense of privacy anymore. There is no boundary anymore. Um, and obviously seeking help for mental health is probably going to be the last on anybody's priority list right now because there's so much going on and it's difficult to process what's happening. What kind of future mental health can we predict from this ongoing situation? So in terms of mental health, what I would say is that um, because it's been such an elongated process, the first and foremost thing that I think mm. every one of us has been facing in different intensities is that we are feeling burnt out. Mm. We are feeling like we don't have the energy, we don't have motivation or the interest to do things whether it is work or whether it is something personal yeah. like we did before the pandemic hit mm. right so I think in the initial few months it was different because you know it was a new thing everyone was just getting adjusted mm. it was more time at home more time with family and so it was much easier for people back then mm. but because it's become such an elongated process and like you said there aren't any boundaries Hmm. When we when we talk about work, when you're physically going to work, there's a physical boundary. When you leave yeah. work, that's a physical boundary. You're not thinking about you. You're not working once you leave office or once you leave your place of work. Hmm. So that's one of the major things I think that's happening is all of us are feeling burned out at some level or the other, hmm. right? And when and of course burnout will always lead to a lot more of anxiety, a lot more of frustration, a lot more of irritation, which would always lead to more aggression, more mm-hmm. arguments, more disagreements. So not only are you disturbed at work, not mm-hmm. able to focus, which is causing frustration, mm-hmm. but at the same time you're also you know, channeling that into your personal life where your interactions get more disruptive in nature. So a lot Mm. of families have started to have conflict. There have been conflicts between parent-child, there have been conflicts between couples. And so I think that's one of the biggest impact of the prolonged pandemic that we are seeing. Right. 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 And of course, in terms of mental health, there's an increased isolation that we feel. So yeah. we feel distanced. We we are all social beings. We 
I mean, at different levels, at different intensities, we all like social interactions, and yeah. that is one thing that has been restricted and been taken away from us in a way. Mm-hmm. So a lot of loneliness, a lot of disconnect is coming in, which of course in severe forms will come across as, you know, depression or there might mm-hmm. be increased anxiety, mm-hmm. and and just the level of adjustment. that each individual has 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 become very disturbed right now mm. Mm. so the flexibility that we have as individuals to adjust to something mm. has become a little disrupted because we didn't have any guidelines or framework as to how to adjust to something like the pandemic that we we are in for the last mm. year and a half right so right it's just disrupted every little part of our functioning on a day to day basis i would say right so uh, what i'm hearing is that it's it's obviously not fair to beat ourselves up if you're not able to function at a 100% productivity level right because i right. obviously like you rightly said a lot of us are struggling to perform and it's not easy uh, to give our give our best at work or at home because we're all feeling burnt out so but there is uh, somewhere there's this guilt that we all have that you know I'm not able to do this and that self doubt creeps in and then you just spiral, spiral downwards from there so how do you manage that feeling from taking over first and foremost like we started talking about boundaries right mm. so creating boundaries for your own self because mm. i think the work from home has disrupted any sort of boundaries that we've mm-hmm. had so just being able to create boundaries it could be as simple as creating a routine where you wake up every morning dress up and then have a specific space within the home where you go and work right mm-hmm. and taking breaks during during your work day closing right. off work shutting down your systems shutting down your laptop at a certain time mm-hmm. so that you're able to sort of um create a bit of disconnect in that mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. so right. little things that you can do to establish boundaries to establish routines right? right i would also suggest things like you know probably going out for a walk in the evening right right very small little things these are not huge changes that you have to make but small little things that can help you mm. um something like creating a self care routine finding time to do something that you really enjoy so mm. a hobby or a leisure activity mm. and because we're all stuck at home and with you know everybody being at home mm. i think finding that little time and space to be alone just for yourself even if you're not doing anything it doesn't right. have to be a very long period of time but maybe say half an hour to an hour every week just for your own self right right i think that's a that's a great tip to um, start the podcast with i want to go back on the the grieving uh, point that i i made earlier and obviously right. like i said that you know there have been sudden departures because of the second wave and it was it was devastating to a lot of families who are never going to be the same again right um yeah. and it has been difficult to process that grief as well because uh, distant family members have not been able to see you in person mm. and you can't hug anymore you know there's no physical mm. touch anymore that that mm. all of that is missing and uh, because of the sudden shock it's it's still very raw the feeling is still very raw there is no closure so how does one cope with that so like you rightly said the rituals that we have help us cope and process 
the grief mm. right mm. which is something that's been taken away from us you're not able to see you're not able mm. to go be there for the family mm. right and and so the grieving process has also shifted right now mm. it's no longer the same as what it was pre pandemic mm. however grief is something that we all experience in different ways at different levels at different intensities right? right so there's no one way of experiencing grief and i think somewhere at the society level uh, with everything that's happening we are also not being given the space to process and experience grief especially right. with the second second wave coming in what has happened is that there have been probably multiple deaths that we hear of either mm. within the family or say within you know acquaintances within people in the neighborhood so you are not able to process one loss and then mm. there is another one that comes in mm. right which is makes the whole grieving process very complicated right but as just to come back to the concept of grief the process in itself takes its own time it might mm. take 3 months it might take 6 months it might take a year for you mm. right mm. giving yourself that time to process because i mean if you look at the theoretical aspect of it and if you look at the stages of grief there are about say 5 6 stages of grief that everyone goes through right mm-hmm. and it's not necessary that it moves in a very linear form you can jump from one stage to the other so like i was saying that the grief is i mean it has 5 6 stages and no one moves in a linear form so you're usually mm-hmm. jumping from one stage to the other some people might skip a stage mm-hmm. but but the idea behind the grief process is to acknowledge that you're going through an emotional turmoil that you've lost something and letting yourself feel that mm-hmm. so because when you don't acknowledge what happens is there's this suppression repression of emotion that is happening which usually comes out in much uglier forms so it could come mm. out as aggressive outbursts it could come out as self destructive behaviors it could come out in the form of bad decision ma- making which is you know in turn affecting you in the long term in a mm. negative manner mm. right so acknowledgement giving yourself that space and time even if you're not able to work sort of processing that emotion that yes there has been a loss hmm. and you're sort of trying to come to terms with that loss right right and where does denial uh, factor in all of this uh, you know all these scheme of things so usually denial is the first sort of emotion or the uh, first stage of grief if you look at it right because mm. the first thing is you cannot come to terms with what has happened which is where denial comes in that you know i can't believe that this person is gone i can't believe that something has happened to this person i i spoke to the person just last week or you know i met the person just last month whatever mm. so denial comes in as your first reaction where you're not able to come to terms with what has happened right and isn't there another side to denial if i i mean if i've understood this correctly there are also hmm? some sort of you know there are there are people who say that you know i've accepted this i know what is happening but i am fine so they're not <laughs> allowing themselves to process what's really happening and they say i'm very balanced i'm very fine there's nothing that is uh, impacting me at the moment is right. that also denial and how yes, is well, that so hmm. so that's the like you said that's the other side of denial where hmm. i 
acknowledge that something has happened mm. yet i'm not completely accepting it mm. right because when acceptance comes in there is a bit of anger that will come in there is a bit of confusion a bit of frustration a bit of irritability that is very natural mm. that would occur mm. right so if someone is saying that you know i know this has happened but i'm all right that's also the other form of denial like you rightly said mm. where the other person is just not willing to emotionally accept that something has happened mm. okay and how um good is that uh, mechanism is that a way to cope and is that advisable should that be uh, taken so again denial is also a way to cope right mm-hmm. if denial lasts for a very long time then of course we would say that it's being unhelpful it's not right. being adaptive right but initially denial is the first thing that we are expecting in most cases which mm. are sudden especially so cases where say someone has been in a long term illness or someone is really old and and right. you know it's age related decline denial might not occur in those cases right but right. if it's sudden if it's someone who's young mm. denial is what we are expecting because it in the whole scheme of whole things you're not expecting that person to lose their life at that point of time right 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 so denial initially is expected but if it's long lasting then we know that the person is not willing to process which is of course going to be maladaptive or it's going to be unhelpful in the long term okay and how can caregivers really help in this particular scenario to help you either grieve or help you get that sense of closure so that you can move on so closure would only come in once you've moved through the whole process of grief reached a place of acceptance where you're learning to move on with mm. your own life at the same time not sort of pushing away this person or the void that you have because of the loss of a certain person right mm. so that's when you actually reach the closure stage or where in there's a completion of cycle that happens right mm. Mm. in terms of caregivers i think it's just the ability to provide information initially having an open communication with the person right mm-hmm. listening to what the person is saying trying to understand where they are coming from a mm. lot of times you you know what happens when someone is in denial where they say that you know oh this is this couldn't happen or you know oh i i know this has happened but i'm fine mm. um family starts to get worried or the caregiver start to get worried and we start to get worked up right mm-hmm. that why is this person reacting this way you know you need to come to terms and there's a lot of yeah. pressure yeah okay right? now the pressure doesn't really help because mm-hmm. it's just making things much more difficult for this person in terms of coming to terms with what has happened right right so being supportive being open just listening to what this person has to say right mm. and helping the person process the information bit by bit so it doesn't have to happen in a day it doesn't have to happen in a week right right but just bit by bit supporting and just listening and giving the right information to the person helps so mm. within mm. our society within our culture there's also this tendency to sort of hide you know the information yeah. from certain people or so say from children or from adolescents or maybe from from our elders right yeah. that you know it would add 
that really doesn't help because it sort of interferes with the grieving process mm, mm. right providing yeah. the accurate information and helping them work through it is more important than say them getting to know later and then it adding to more problems rather than solving any sort yeah. of problem there. yeah yeah you're also denying them that right to grieve because yes. they have the right yes. to information right yeah um you know i do want to talk about survivors guilt obviously that's hmm. also a very prevalent feeling in a lot of people who have survived through this pandemic so far mm. especially through the second wave mm. so and that and it's very natural to feel guilty especially among the older people who say that you know it was our turn to go but you know um, this has happened and it shouldn't have happened it was unfair etc etc so uh, can you talk a little bit about survivors guilt and what's the best way to um, deal with it so a lot of survivors guilt like you said is coming from probably an age difference saying that mm. you know there's a sudden death a younger person dies within the family and therefore mm. there's a lot of survival a lot of survival guilt is probably also coming in in people who probably you know gotten or tested positive at the same time and then one mm. of them has survived and the other hasn't right right and the whole idea or um, the concept of survival guilt is coming from the feeling of helplessness Mm. that you know i couldn't do or i couldn't help this person or i couldn't give this person a chance to, mm. to you know to live and to experience things right so mm. it's coming from a lot of helplessness in that sense mm. um in terms of survival guilt and how to process is understanding that you have no control right when you're mm. saying that you're feeling helpless you're also trying to control something which is ideally not in your control right so accepting acknowledging that you know something has happened mm. right you did your best in that situation mm. right if we ideally look at people with survivors guilt they would have done everything possible in that situation yeah to help the person to help the family member to help the friend right, right. so accepting that you know whatever could be done was done and there was nothing else that could be done is the first mm. step of coming to terms with it right mm. again a lot of support system a lot of uh, you know free open communication always helps when it comes to a difficult or a complex emotion like guilt right right being open communicating expressing and of course to someone who's able to validate how the person is feeling so validation mm. becomes very important even say someone who's grieving just validating how they are feeling mm. right is mm. important so that they are able to accept acknowledge and then moving forward right and in a lot of cases what's been seen is that you know the survivors guilt is usually later being used to sort of you know transform and use it for a different purpose in their life right mm. so it initially it might seem like everything is falling apart mm. but you're using that emotion you're using that energy this emotional energy to sort of transform your life and you know find a new purpose in your life right taking into account the person and what the person wanted to do basically right right i think that's a great way to uh, put it you know it's a, it's a great perspective there um i also want to talk about uh compassion fatigue obviously um like we we've, we've been talking about this this overwhelming feeling that has taken over all of us right we don't know what's happening it's just, it's just too much to process it's just difficult and we 
you know sometimes we just feel numb we are not able to uh, condole we're not able to express ourselves and there's just total fatigue that we're feeling um, so and that also is followed by guilt you know that i'm not able to feel anything am i uh, not human uh, am i heartless uh, what what would you say about that so um when it comes to compassion fatigue uh, mm. that feeling of numbness like you said mm. right it is very very important to identify that you know all of us are going through it in some way or the other right mm. whether it be reaching out to family whether it be reaching out to friends where you start to feel that you know it's just becoming too much mm. right and i'm not able to respond appropriately emotionally with all the information that's coming in right in such a cases the first and the foremost and the most important thing to do is to take a break to disconnect mm. and give yourself that space to recover mm. right it's a form of stress it's a it's a type similar to burnout right where you mm. take time you take space you recover right because your emotion has been completely drained with everything that you've been hearing and everything all the information mm. that's been there and, and it's not not just what's been happening within say your immediate circle there's also mm. a lot of news that you heard which is yeah. on similar lines right yeah. mm. so just taking that break taking that space recovering yourself rejuvenating yourself is very important when it comes to compassion fatigue mm. right and and just being able to tell yourself that it's okay if i'm feeling numb i just need a couple of days to disconnect whether it is to disconnect say from social media or to disconnect from friends it's mm. okay to do that so that i am able to take care of myself so that i can you know be helpful or help someone else who needs needs mm. that help Hmm. But tell me something, Ishita. We are talking about this over here that it's okay to take a break. It's okay to disconnect. It's okay to put your feelings first and you know give yourself the time to process it. Uh, what right. about the people around us? It's very difficult to explain it to them what is going on with you and why do you need that time for yourself and why do you need to disconnect and not have this conversation and not uh, be able to explain yourself. as to uh what is going on because that's not easy so what do you do in that case absolutely you're right it's not easy especially in a society like ours where families mm-hmm. are very interdependent on each other yeah. right so taking or disconnecting becomes very difficult but this is what i tell all my clients as well that you know if you have an empty glass you cannot mm. fill anybody else's glass with water mm. right mm. you need to fill your own glass and then have excess to be able to fill other people right mm. so it's the same thing if i am not able to process anything at that point of time i'm not being helpful to anyone mm. i am being irritable i am there's this self doubt there is numbness nothing mm. is making sense and that would lead to more conflict right mm-hmm. if i'm able to just take say two days off everything right just being mm-hmm. able to create that boundary and say that you know just give me this time just give me these two days let me just understand what's happening let me just you know sort of mm-hmm. process everything and i will come back and help you right, right? because right. you being irritable and having an argument is not leading to anything helpful yeah but if you taking a break and creating a boundary saying that you know i need some time 
it's okay if you don't understand but i need to do this for myself so that i can come back and help you back off hmm. is a better option that you have right now right right i hope people who are listening to this uh, especially the caregivers and the people who are going to provide the support system are able to understand that it's important to give that space and time and not just force the other person to you know um cry and express yourselves publicly and then be done with it and move on it doesn't work like that for everybody right um yes. i i want to talk about um you know relationships we did touch upon it briefly um hmm. that there is no sense of boundary anymore of course and it's it, it's very difficult obviously there's uh, this constant tussle happening between family members because they, you know you're always around each other there's hardly any me time etc um what kind of an impact are we looking at uh, in the long term on couples on marriages so a lot of stress that individually each one is facing whether it's work wise whether it's personally which then mm. comes together in the dynamic that they have as a couple mm. right so individual burnout would always lead to a outburst within the family or within the couple dynamic where right. of course there's greater frustration there's greater irritability there's greater mood mood changes or mood swings that are happening right mm. and then basic things like your sleep gets disturbed your appetite gets disturbed mm. energy levels are disturbed and of course when all of this is happening your self doubt sort of starts to creep in right mm. so you're also becoming insecure of your identity within the relationship which mm. is why there's a lot of breaking down of relationships that are happening there's a lot more conflict that is happening in terms of relationships as well and in terms of families all together when the couple starts to fight if there are kids the kids start to get affected mm. right yeah. if there are you know if there's a joint family setup like you said space becomes a problem there's mm. no there's no non restricted sort of time where there's everyone is not around where i have just this my time so mm. a lot more frustration is coming in and frustration coming in it's it's the only way to sort of overcome that frustration is to be able to find those smaller outlets mm. right so going out for walks just going together to the market to get groceries right? right it's it's way of building so quality time as we talk in terms of couples in terms of family is finding those smaller things yes of course you can't go out and eat or you can't you know go mm. out and do the other social things that would be considered as quality time but mm. finding alternatives finding smaller things that you do together right. to just build on the relationship otherwise yeah. there would be a lot of stress and a lot of breakdown that would happen within the relationship here yeah and i think the worst is the excessive screen time that's filling in the void in relationships yeah. and there's there's not enough communication that's happening right so communication i think overall with even not just with couples even within mm. general family setup is getting affected right because yeah how much would you communicate when you're with someone 24/7 how much yeah. can you communicate right yeah. so screen time is replaced the quality time that that families would have or that parents would have with yeah. kids which yeah. is why i always suggest that finding smaller outlets things which are possible in the given framework in the current framework Mm. right we can't of course change the external situation but we could sort of 
you know find those smaller outlets within simple things as probably picking up a board game and playing with your child right, right. instead of you know and you don't have to do it every day you could do it maybe once a week or maybe twice a week right that that could just sort of facilitate the quality time and you know improve the quality of your relationship and the interaction generally right right um there is obviously um an extreme side to this this lockdown the pandemic as well where people are you know locked up together under one roof which is domestic violence right it's the uglier side of this this pandemic a lot of children a lot of women even men for that matter are being impacted uh, they are victims of domestic violences um what has been your experience as a psychologist are you seeing increasing cases of domestic violence are, are people able to come forward and seek help at all um and is there a way out I mean, when it comes to domestic violence, I think the biggest obstacle is the fact that people don't go out and reach out and communicate that you know something is happening. And of course, when you're locked up at home with so much frustration, with so much aggression that is developing in any and everyone, mm. of course, such things have increased. Um, the only thing that you could do in such a case would be to reach out and talk to someone that you trust it could be a mm. friend it could be a family member it could be anyone that you trust because mm. having that open channel of communication even if it's that one person helps to build mm. confidence because one of the biggest things that domestic violence does is reduce your confidence and your esteem right? right so you start to become insecure about your own self you mm-hmm. start to every little thing that that you can do that you thought you could do well right mm-hmm. and so just having that one person whether it's a family whether it's a friend and reaching out and communicating and telling them what what's happening is important even if you're not able to sort of reach out and seek help professionally even if you're mm. not able to reach out and you know complain about what is happening having that one person that you mm. trust and having a communication with that person helps improve confidence helps improve the way you look at yourself you value yourself and then as a part and parcel of that process is when you go out and seek help right okay so communication becomes extremely important right in in such a case okay um thank you this has been very helpful just a uh, last question and i will wrap this uh, podcast today uh we've been talking about a lot of uh, different aspects of mental health right grief and compassion fatigue and um aggression etc etc so um tell me how helpful is distraction in in this particular scheme of things um is it to say that you know uh, distract yourself into something more uh, creative so that uh, you're able to uh, forget it or is it just you know a way to brush things under the carpet because it might just blow up one day so i i just want your thoughts on that so distraction is helpful when you're using it as an outlet in addition to something else sole distraction is is basically going to suppress the emotion that you're feeling like you rightly said you brush mm. it under the carpet and forget about it and mm. of course it comes out later on mm. distraction is very helpful to sort of help you calm yourself at that point of time 
Hmm. Right. So I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling upset. I do something else to calm myself, to distract myself. But it is also important to go back and understand and process the whole emotion and understand why I was feeling and what could I do so that I don't constantly feel this way. Right. So you're saying it's not the be all end all of it. It's not the end yes. solution. It's, it's just in the moment. No, it's, it's a temporary way out. it's the first step of solving a problem i would say it's the right. first step of saying that you know okay i'm feeling a certain way i'm feeling a certain emotion and i don't know what to do about it let me try and focus my energy and my attention somewhere else to calm myself down a little bit and then understand why it's going to happen because any any time that we are thinking from or we are trying to solve a problem when we are feeling an intense emotion it is colored by that emotion so we are not thinking logically we are not thinking rationally it's a very emotional decision that we are taking mm-hmm. so distraction works very well to sort of help us calm down to help reduce the impact of that emotion and then mm-hmm. once we are much more calmer then coming back and sort of reviewing and understanding what happened why i was feeling this way is necessary if you're using distraction right right okay that that makes a lot of sense thank you so much ishita this has been really really helpful and i hope a lot of people who are facing a very difficult time processing you know the grief and the the personal loss uh, that they've had they are able to get some help some cue from this and they're able to you know get professional help that they need at this time to come out of uh, this hell hole thank you so much thank you so much for having me thanks ishita bye